passage, you remember this is Paul's first letter to any of the churches. Um, he established this church on his first missionary journey. And he is writing because he's concerned. He's concerned that they possibly have abandoned the faith. Do you guys uh, know what that feels like to be concerned about perhaps someone you love? That they may have abandoned the faith? It's a great fear. And it always seems to be a possibility. I don't know how many um, of our young people have gone off into college. And then when you hear stories of coming back that uh, they're getting involved with people and things that will draw them away from their faith. And you just pray. You pray hard that they don't. Paul's desire, though, isn't simply just to pray for them, and certainly he does. You know Paul had a, a very rich prayer life. His desire is to get back there and see them face to face so that he can correct any errors and then reestablish them in doctrinal purity, if you will, and also in the reality and authenticity of their experience of faith. Um, we are in, in chapter 3 now, and in this chapter, he's going to talk about why he sent Timothy to the Thessalonians, and he is going to talk about being afflicted and the expectations of afflictions and how they should never surprise us. And then he's going to share about the urgency that he had when sending Timothy, and that's going to be in verse 5, and then he's going to relate to them that Timothy brought back a good report card about them. We all love it when our kids come home with good report cards, right? And they're not just filled with D minuses. and You know, just shows how much potential they have as a student, right? All right, here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, they just couldn't stop worrying. They could no longer endure the worry. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Um, I know that if I'm concerned about one of my daughters and they haven't texted me back, I get really worried, right? Well, imagine Paul where there was no, you know, Facebook or Twitter or email or anything like that. They would have to wait weeks and weeks for any news to get back and forth from where he was to where he's writing right now. So he had to endure it for a long time. That's a lot of psychological pressure, if you will, spiritual pressure more, more than likely. And so he sent Timothy to find out their state and I like it how he calls Timothy our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. 
Um, I work with some very, very wonderful fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ. And I rejoice in that. He says, and he sent Timothy to encourage them concerning their faith. Establish and encourage. That no one be shaken by these afflictions. Now in verse 2, he calls Timothy a minister. The word minister uh, in originally meant the service of a table waiter. Okay, If you go to Denny's and they come to take your order or wait on you, of course we don't say, you know, that's a, that's a fine minister right there coming up to take my order. But that's what the word meant back in the day. And... Uh, Robert Morris, uh, I, I don't know if that's his right his first name or not, but anyway, he said originally the word minister denoted the service of a table waiter, and from that it came to signify lowly service of any kind. It was often used by the early Christians to give expression to the service that they habitually were to render to both God and man where a word like slave, which is often used of Christians, puts the emphasis on the personal relationship, this word draws attention to the act of service being rendered. Um, I am a minister of the gospel. I am an under-shepherd. And also, the term is an under-rower. Meaning, like, if you remember the slave ships back in the days, you know, Ben-Hur days, and they would lock them down at the bottom of the boat and chain them to it so that if the boat went down, well, that's what the pastor is supposed to go do for the church. If the church goes down, I go down with it. Make sure that you're all safely taken care of, and I sink to the bottom of the Red Sea. But the minister is the one who is the, describes the service of what you do, the work of the ministry. Right, It is the teaching of the word of God for me. It is also like the visiting and encouraging of people. Um, it can be everything from setting up the chairs to decorating the children's church room. A um, lot of different things fall under that category of ministry. Now, Timothy is Paul's minister to the Thessalonians. And uh, John Barclay said that when Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica, Thessalonica, it was not nearly so much to inspect the church, but it was to help it. So how is he going to help it? By establishing and encouraging them concerning their faith. Establishing and encouraging. Both of those are necessary to the Christian. All of us need to be established and encouraged. But establishing comes first. It means to strengthen and make firm in the doctrines of the faith. To enable them to maintain their faith steadfastly, even in the face of the trials. You know what trials they were facing? right? The persecution that was beginning to break out under Nero. So... When tough times come, some people tend to leave the faith. So to be established in the faith is to make firm in their hearts and minds the truth, the doctrines of the truth, the doctrines of the gospel. 
they're going to be hearing competing things and the, the, the persecution is going to possibly cause them to want to embrace those other thoughts. And it's also to help them maintain their faith steadfastly. The word encourage is parakaleo. How many of you recognize that Greek word? Uh, the Holy Spirit is our parakletos, right? The one who comes alongside to help us. And this means to come alongside someone to comfort them, to exhort them, and to give them aid. Now that can only come after we are established in the right direction. Otherwise, we are only encouraged in the wrong course. Got to know that you're headed. It wouldn't do me any good to try to encourage you in your faith if you're starting to embrace uh, the doctrines of several different uh, cults as well as Christianity, embracing the New Age movement as well as Christianity, and I want to encourage you in your faith. I need to correct you in your doctrine first so that you're established in the correct doctrine, and then I can encourage you. Now, of course, uh, what was going on when they needed this type of ministry? Well, they were being shaken by their afflictions. And Timothy's ministry would help him endure that shaking. That word shaken there comes from the idea of a dog wagging its tail. Have you ever seen a dog wag its tail? Yes, it can be deceiving. I tell you the truth. It can really be. I love dogs, and I take risks with dogs that I should not take. And if I see a dog wagging its tail, that doesn't mean it wants me to approach it. <laughs> Why is it wagging its tail? I don't know. But if I sometimes approach, sometimes I can get myself bit by that very same dog. And I have been bit by that very same dog. Um, another commentator said, flattered as a dog flattereth by moving his tail the devil, by flattering you with promise of more ease by a contrary course, but will but I'm sorry, will but do as a dirty dog defile you with fawning. All right, that's that's quite an old archaic uh, quote, but he, he's just saying just as a dog wagging its tail can be deceiving, you think you it likes you and it wants you to pet it, and yet it bites you. The devil wags his tail with these false doctrines and with these trials to make you think he has the easier course. Why are you suffering these trials? Because you're a Christian. We don't like it. We don't like your worldview. We don't like your ideology. You are not politically correct, and you need to be culturally canceled because of the way you think. You need to be have your comeuppance. So it would be easier to embrace their mindset than to stay strong. But that's not what we are to do. Without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering in the life of the believer, we're in great danger of being shaken in our faith. Without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering in the life of the believer, we are in great danger of being shaken in our faith. We need to understand, verse 3, these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In other words, he says, you need to understand that we were appointed to these afflictions. Appointed. It almost sounds like um, working with a boss who's telling you to go take out the garbage. Like this is what he's demanding of you. The word appointed there is kimai. 
and it means to be destined, certain to meet a particular fate. In other words, it's just what's going to happen. It's just what is going to happen. Rather than think about it as something that God is doing to you, just understand it's just a matter of course. If you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, what? You will suffer persecution. That's just because they hate him, and if they hated him, they're going to hate you all the more. So you're certain to meet a particular fate. You've been appointed to this. It's sort of like the father who was turning the keys over to the family car to his 16-year-old son who just got a driver's license, right? He's holding his hand out to get the keys, and the father holds the keys out, and he says, son, there's a ticket in your future. You have been appointed to receiving a ticket. And we have been appointed to afflictions. Afflictions. The word is philippus or philipsis. Philipsis. And it means things like physical pain, emotional hardships, and suffering under temptation. Okay? The complete word study dictionary said that their tribulation consists largely of persecution and the opposition their testimony meets in an unfriendly world. Their testimony is going to be met with hostility. This is not a friendly world towards Christianity. And we're seeing that our world is becoming less and less friendly towards Christianity too. So, no, ain't, okay, Sherry always gets on me for saying this, but it ain't no thing but a chicken wing on a string when the afflictions come, okay? It's just part and parcel of what we're supposed to face. And Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that the time of present suffering is actually normal. And being normal, it's still under God's sovereign domain and control. As I've said to you many times, no persecution and no trial will last absolutely one second longer than it must. And in the trial, instead of just being a worthless experience, it is something that actually benefits you and gets you rich in heaven, for one thing, and builds your character here on earth. It has, it has its benefits. Not that you should, you know, go looking for it. All right, don't worry. It's going to find you soon enough. You just live godly in Christ Jesus. It's going to find you. You don't have to go looking for it. But when it does come, know that it is like uh, proving your faith to make it more pure than gold. And it's of great worth in the sight of the Father. So um, Dave Guzik said, as, as part of the normal Christian life, believers have an appointment with affliction. Now, some, some believers do not believe that we should suffer any type of affliction. Because we are, we're him, we're Christians, right? God is good, God is great, God gives us chocolate cake. And, and that's the way my life. I remember years ago, there was a, a precious, precious uh, friend, saint, believer, who was going through the affliction of divorce. And, and she, it just caught her totally unaware. She was not expecting this to happen. 
And, and she was thinking that God was angry with her, as many do, believing that affliction means God is angry with you. It doesn't, of course. And why would he do that? Why would God do this to me? Have you ever said that to yourself? You know, yeah, of course we have. And I had to explain to her, as painful as it was, is that this isn't God's fault. For whatever reason, your, your, your husband has decided to go a different direction and is tearing you up and breaking you up. I think you, you got to realize that, that finding a husband or wife is not like shopping for a puppy at a rescue shelter, all right? Um, you're, you're talking about a human being who has free will and who can make choices. And though everything seems okay one moment, the next minute it might totally change. Is that true? Yeah, that's just reality, isn't it? That's the way experience goes. But that doesn't mean that this trial is going to undo you, even though it may seem overwhelming at the moment. But it will actually work out to your benefit and to your good. Be patient and, you know, and we will weep with you. Affliction is just part of, the, of following Jesus. And Paul's just recognizing the fact that Christians are appointed or destined to affliction. And in this, what we need, and Paul prayed this many times, is perseverance, endurance, and obedience. And for those who aren't going through those trials, learn how to comfort and to draw people into a deeper fellowship with the Lord. Is it tempting sometimes when a person's going through a trial to try to solve their problem for them? You know, if you would just do this, then this would probably work out, you know, especially if you're a guy. Yeah, that's what we do. We solve problems. <laughs> Actually, we don't, but we try to. And what we really need to do is continue to point them to Jesus through the word of God. And not preaching at them, not using a lot of back pocket theology. You have to be careful how you use scripture when you're comforting somebody. You just simply need to point them to the one who can save you. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the Savior suit that you got in your closet by the front door doesn't fit. Right? Sleeves are hanging down, and it looks like you got these footies that are two foot long and hanging out the back. Savior suit doesn't fit you. And we also need to remember that the symbol of Christianity is not a couch. It is a cross. That's right, cross. Um, F.B. Morgan, or I'm sorry, not F.B. Morgan. Anyway, surveying the whole Christian movement, he saw suffering everywhere as the result of loyalty to the faith. He's talking about Paul. And he did not conceive of it merely as something to be endured, he saw God ruling over all and knew that his pathway of pain was a divinely arranged one. So I don't know if it, if it helps you or not. It helps me, certainly, to know that God sees. Like um, Hagar, right? She felt like she'd been totally abandoned, which she had by Abraham and Sarah. And her, her son is dying of thirst, and that's totally not fair. That's not right. And, and, and she's crying out to anybody or anything that would hear. And then God spoke to her, didn't she? I see you. And don't worry, he, you know, he's not going to die. He's going to make a great nation out of him also. And what did she call that place? I think it was um, Elroy. 
the God where the place where God sees. God has seen me. And that brought comfort to her. It's enough for me to know that God sees. Now remember this. This is something I think is a very profound quote by A.W. Tozer. He said, before God can use a person greatly, he must allow that person to be hurt deeply. Why is that, you think? Why must God allow you to be hurt deeply before you can be used greatly? Well, I'll tell you why. If my life is, is peaches and cream, I can't identify with you. I have no idea what it's like to suffer like you are suffering. Now, when I go through it, now I can offer some comfort. And most of that comfort is just me keeping my mouth shut and being there to pray with you and for you. But I can comfort you with the same comfort that I was comforted through Jesus Christ. The encouragement I received. I don't know about you, but when I go through deep trials, all of a sudden this book uh, goes into hyperdrive in my attention. I mean, I read it every day. I study it. But when I'm going through a trial, I'm digging. And I am paying attention to every verse, every word in the verse, and every, every space between the letters of the words in the verse. I am just digging into it and paying very, very close attention. I'm drawing closer to God. And as I do that, I'm finding the comfort and the encouragement to go on, to endure, to persevere. And now I can share with you that, yeah, it works. It's true. He's true. He's faithful. He has never lied. He's not going to start now. And I've waited for at least um, 40, 50 years of being a Christian for that other shoe to drop. Never has. Never has and never will. All right. So let's go to verse 4 and talk about affliction should never surprise the Christian. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. Now th that happened just a few months before him writing this. He warned them that they would suffer tribulation. And, all, and even though he was just there with them for a few weeks, he taught them about the place of suffering in the Christian life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, please. Matthew 13, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. You'll recognize the parable. It's the parable of the sower and the seeds, right? The farmer went out to plant crops in a field. He's throwing out seeds. And uh, some of it falls on rocky ground. Some of it falls on um, th between thorns and thistles. And some of it gets into good soil. And he tells the disciples that this is a sort of a metaphor for the word of God, which is the seed, and the different types of soil that are explained are different types of believers and what they're going through. In verse 20, he says, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he hears it, he embraces it, he receives it with joy. Yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself. In other words, it didn't really dig in and take root. It endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, 
immediately he stumbles. Jesus said that when tribulation comes, and you notice he didn't say if tribulation comes. He says when it comes, that the Christian's faith is going to be tested. And it all depends upon the type of soil found in the heart. Now, Paul knew this. And as a good pastor, he warned the Thessalonians that this is going to happen. Many people probably, you warned you of many things that were going to happen, but you only sort of half listened until it actually happened. And then you remembered, oh, I was told about that. Exactly. Um, if you are paying attention to, to popular culture, and I don't recommend that you get too immersed in it because it's very depressing. <laughs> but we have a new thing coming up that I never thought in my lifetime I would see, but we have a cancel culture, which means basically if your thoughts are not orthodox to the culture that is the dominant culture, then we will cancel you. If you believe in things that we don't believe in, then you need to be told. And the only way that we can tell you is by wiping your relevancy off the face of the earth. How many people have lost their jobs because they disagree with, let's say, a liberal agenda? That they believe marriage should be between a man and a woman for life and that, that homosexuality is wrong. And of course, if you say that, then they're, they're going to watch you. Now, at first, when it started happening, I started thinking, yeah, you know, it's just a few crackpots. You know, it'll pass. But it's not only not passing, it's now becoming um, ingrained into our political systems, into the highest parts of government where if you cross the line to what, and obviously they are the only ones that can tell you whether you are politically correct or not. They're the ones that hold the definitions in their hands. If you cross the line, you lose your job. Many, many people have lost their job. And now what I'm hearing since this election is that um, we are going to find all of those 71 million deplorable voters who need to be re-educated. These are the words that they're using. And we will look, you know, if you go for another job uh, interview, they're going to look at your Facebook post and your Twitter account, and they're going to see what manner you are in that realm. And if you are not, then you will not get hired. Uh, is that discrimination? Yeah, it is. It's very Orwellian, isn't it? Thought police. The thought police, the cancel culture. Um, it, it goes on deeper than that. But I want to say this, uh, and this I hadn't really planned to say. I was wondering if I would or not, but we still live in the greatest country in all the world. Okay? So let's not bemoan the fact. And as Christians, persecution, though we know it's coming, we've been told, just like Paul told the Thessalonians, you're appointed to this. 
we in the United States are persecution soft. Okay. The worst thing that they can do to us right now is cancel us out of culture. But of course, we're supposed to be counterculture, and we never really were part of the culture anyway, so whatever, right? Will it affect your job? Yeah, maybe. Uh, will it affect your standing in the community, in the political, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, probably. But we still live in a place where your voice can be heard. They, they haven't shut us up totally, have they? And we still live in one of the most beautiful countries in all the world. I mean, you can go to California and visit the sequoias in the Redwood National Forest, and you could head off to New York and, and look at the skyscrapers. Just hold your nose, because I hear it's rather smelly there, right? Um, go to Montana. Um, there, they say there's a beauty here in the southwest. I'm still looking for it. But <laughs> uh, it's a very beautiful country. It's rich in resources, and it's been blessed with a people who are, are kind. People who are kind. And even though we are accused right now of being the most racist society on earth, it's like you haven't been anywhere else. You have no clue what it's like in other countries and other places. We're, we have our flaws. We're not perfect. But we're a kind and generous nation. We give more to world issues and problems than anybody else on the earth, any other country on earth. And if we had wanted to, um, we could have already taken over most of the earth through our military power and might. But because we held to a certain set of ideals embedded in our constitution, which have Judeo-Christian values at its core, we have resisted doing anything like that. We live in a good country, guys. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing at all. As church, maybe we need to wake up. Maybe we need to stop being so complacent and put that message out there fearlessly. But we have nothing to apologize for. All right, that was preaching, and I'm sorry. Let's go to verse 5. Paul's urgency in sending Timothy to the Thessalonians. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. He couldn't endure the thought that the Christians there might crumble under a season of affliction. So he sent Timothy to check, out, check them out. And he says, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. Who's the tempter? Satan your adversary. And what's the temptation? To get you to abandon your faith. And if that happened, then Paul says his labor among them would have been useless. It would have been in vain if they wavered in their faith. Satan is always wanting to exploit the seasons of suffering that we go through. We have the, that precious Carrillo family um, who just lost um, Richard, Elena's father, just a few weeks ago. And now um, the grandmother has passed yesterday. And um, besides that, little, little Xander 
was in the hospital and they're wondering, you know, if he might have cystic fibrosis is one of the possibilities that he's dealing with. Those are all major life events. And it seems like sometimes our families get hit with those things like waves, don't they? They just come and they come in waves. Well, same thing here for the church. The trials and afflictions are coming in waves. And Paul is concerned that Satan is going to exploit this season of suffering and tempt them to give up on God. Well, they're going to stand firm. We're going to find that out. But why? Why do they stand firm? Well, first of all, they've been praying for it. No one stands firm without intercessory prayer. That's why it's so important that we get involved in intercessory prayer. Uh, the young adult stayed on Sunday. I think it was this last Sunday. Ben, you can correct me. But we're praying for the persecuted church, especially this gentleman who lost his arm after being attacked by people who set him up um, because he was, he was in a, a predominantly Muslim community and he had been sharing his faith, and so they needed to shut him up, and they broke his arm, and it ended up having to be amputated. Uh, people that are suffering like that, they need our encouragement. They need our prayers, and that's what they covet the most. Please pray for us. But it always helps to let them know that you are praying for them. Sending the letters and the cards that will get to them that we're praying for you. So Paul worked hard at praying for these people. And he also then sent Timothy because they would need help from godly people. Pastor's heart here, I wish we were more concerned about the budding faith of our children. Especially our children. And I wonder... If we had the heart of Paul, how we would approach establishing and encouraging them and our teens and our young adults in Christ. Because the world has targeted them and they are the prize. And I think that's one reason why we still want to invest in ministry and invest in the people who are ministering to them and invest time on our knees for them. All right, verses 6 and 7. We get good news from Timothy. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. When Timothy returned from his visit, he brought good news. And Paul must have felt like the apostle John. I rejoice to hear that my children walk in the truth. That's a good feeling. If you are a minister of the gospel or if you've ever shared with anybody in your family, and you check on them a little bit later on to hear that they're still walking with the Lord. It's a great comfort, isn't it? Well, it is for me. I remember there was a time in ministry when I realized 
that I had not been actually um, as uh, committed to the ministry as I thought I had been. I had a group of young people that I had mentored for four or five years in youth ministry, but I was not really consistent in my prayer life for them. You know, I'd blanket cover them with prayers like, you know, please bless this group, do something with them. But I never really sat down and struggled in prayer for them each as individuals. And then it, it hit me, you know, about five or six years of them being out of high school and into adulthood, I wondered if they were still walking with the Lord at all. And uh, I sent letters to them, and I apologized for not being as faithful in the ministry for them as I should have been. And to be honest with you, a few were still walking with the Lord, but most had fallen away. And that broke my heart. I'm not totally responsible, but I am somewhat responsible for this. I could have had a heart like Paul, and if I had been on the ball, I would have. And I would have been praying for them, and I would have been checking up on their, on their progress. The Thessalonians were doing well in faith and love, and Paul helped them to do even better with this letter he wrote, how encouraging it would be for them to hear it. And we, we're not there yet. We'll get there next week. When, well, actually, not next week. Not next week, we have Dottie and Tina going to perform here. So we have a concert. So come. But when we come back to this, no, wait a minute. What am I talking about? It's not Wednesday night, is it? <laughs> yeah, so next week, we will finish this chapter. And we will talk about the return of Christ again, as it talks about it in chapter 3. And what can be more encouraging than to know Jesus is returning. John Calvin, quoting on faith and love, because you notice it says, Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. These two words, in these two words, he states concisely the sum total of godliness. All who aim at this double mark are beyond the danger of error for the whole of their life. Faith and love. It's very much like what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love, the, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and in that you have fulfilled the prophets and the law. John Calvin also said, all pastors, Dennis, are reminded by this of the kind of relationship which ought to exist between them and the church. When things go well with the church, they are to count themselves happy, even though in other respects they are surrounded by much distress. On the other hand, however, if they see the building which they have constructed falling down, now he's not talking about the physical building, he's talking about the building of faith, the temple that we make up, if we see the building which we have constructed falling down, they are to die of grief and sorrow, even though in other respects there is good success and prosperity. And I take you back to what I just spoke about, the uh, youth group that I had pastored that I did not see flourishing but saw the walls broken down in their lives and the men enemy having taken over. So, 
good news, faith and love. You got it going on. God is able to establish you, but not in a vacuum. He does use us to do it. Okay? Is that good? Well, good or not, there it is. <laughs> Shall we all stand, please?